Welcome to the Modern Mommy Dog Podcast. I'm Dr. Whitney Caceres. I'm a full-time pediatrician and a full-time modern mom. I speak and write about equipping mamas to raise resilient, healthy children and to invest in their own social-emotional health along the way. Each week, we'll give you the practical tools you need to win at parenting without losing yourself. Welcome back to the Modern Mommy Doc Podcast. Today, I have author Amy Morin, who wrote a number of books, but most recently, a book called 13 Things Strong Kids Do. And I'm excited to have her today to talk all about resilience and helping kids be the best version of themselves. Thanks for being here today, Amy. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So you have written a number of other books about adults and how adults can be mentally strong and things that they do and also things that they don't do. (laughs) So, uh, you know, at some other time, we'd love to have you come back to talk about what parents can do and moms can do specifically to be mentally strong and what things sabotage those efforts. But today we're going to talk about kids. And and I want to know, you know, why a book for young readers? What made you kind of take this turn right now? Well, whenever I've written a book, I, my next book is usually based on what readers ask me. So my first book was called 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And then I had lots of parents come forward and say, great, how do I teach this to my kids? So that's where 13 Things Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do came in. And then I had women asking, okay, we talk about mental toughness and we usually talk about a Navy SEAL or we talk about elite athletes. What's it look like to be a strong woman? That's how 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do came about. And then about that time, I started getting more questions from parents who said, okay, I read your parenting book, but now I need something to give to my kids. And so that's really where the kids book came from. As I said, all right, let's create content so that it's not just parents teaching it, but kids and parents can then share the same language. You can talk about exercise and then you can talk about strategies, the same phrase, everybody's on the same page. Yeah, that's awesome. And I love the idea. I mean, similar to couples, right? Like um, when you go to couples therapy together, then you both have the same language that you're speaking and both have the same information that's being given to you at the same time. Similar, you know, similarly, when people come into my pediatrics office, if there's something behavioral, I want it to be that both parents, if there are two, are coming in and meeting with me so that that way everybody gets that same info. So I love the idea of kind of sharing with the kids at the same time that you're sharing, um, like kind of vicariously, you know, to the parents as well. Exactly. And my hope is that parents will read the book too, so that they can say, all right, this is how my kids are learning it, how we can practice or the stories we can talk about uh, from the book. And we can talk about it together. Like, remember when this character had this issue? How can we make sure that when we have the same issue, we work on it in a similar way? Yeah, I like it too, because, you know, I think so many of us, myself included, even as a parenting expert, really, and kid expert, that I we'll read information in a book about like, here's the approach you should take, but it's really helpful to have like, here's the actual words that would be helpful to say. And so I think when you have it written down, especially um, you break it down, like 
areas for reflection for kids and quick tips and like, what's the way you might respond to this? It gives parents and kids like the actual tangible tools to use as they're, as they're trying to get stronger. Yeah. And some of them are just really simple strategies, like talking about feelings. We know that when kids can say, I'm angry, they actually feel a little less angry as soon as they put a label on it. But as parents, sometimes we forget to teach that, or we forget to teach them the difference between feelings and behavior. Kids will say, it's bad to be angry. No, it's okay to feel angry. It's bad to hit your friend when you're angry, but that's a behavior. Or it's okay to be sad, but it's not okay to scream and cry in the middle of the grocery store until you make a disruption. That's not okay. So for us to just really be able to break that down for kids in a way that we probably weren't ever taught ourselves. So it's hard to then figure out how do I teach this to a 10 year old uh, because we missed out on a lot of those basic things as well. We sort of figured them out vicariously uh, in one way or another as we've grown older, but nobody really taught it to us. So it's hard to then break it down into really simple steps for kids. Yeah. Um, it's funny, the baby boomer, like grandmas and grandpas that I talk to, and even a little bit younger generations, they're always offended by this idea that I'm like, you know, I, I really feel like this is the first generation that we're trying to be super intentional about the language that we're using with our kids and about like understanding child development. And I don't mean that in a way that like our parents didn't care. I think it's just right. information out there. You know, it wasn't an area of study for researchers and for specialists in quite the same way as it is now. And so um, I agree that a lot of the things we're learning and teaching our kids are things we're actually learning for ourselves too, right? Yeah, you know, we talk so much about like emotional intelligence in the business world, the sales world, everybody's talking about how you have to be emotionally intelligent. Well, to be honest, I give talks in front of high level executives, really intelligent, smart people. And I'll ask them, okay, I'm going to give you 30 seconds, write down as many feeling words as you can, ready, set, go. And when we're done, in 30 seconds, they come up with an average of five words. They're happy, sad, mad, scared, maybe nervous, but that's about it. And so we're really not to this point where we're going to understand our, our emotional intelligence and understand where everybody else is coming from. Sometimes we just need to go back to the basics and say, how am I feeling today? Check in with yourself. Yeah. And then to make that part of your life and part of your everyday conversation and to normalize a lot of things for kids that maybe weren't normalized for us. When we were kids, I don't know. My parents didn't really sit down and teach me about feelings. We didn't talk a lot about feeling words. We didn't talk a lot about coping skills. But now we know how important those things are, that no matter how smart you are, if you can't manage your anger, you're probably not going to get very far in life. Or no matter how well you do in sports, if you struggle from serious anxiety, you need to figure out how do you manage that in a healthy way. So now we know emotions play a huge role in every decision we make. And it's so important for us to instill those emotional skills in kids if we really want them to succeed. Yeah. And, you know, in the pediatrics world, we talk about these like seven C's of resilience, right? Um, Dr. Ken Ginsberg is someone with the American Academy of Pediatrics who talks about all that uh, all the time. And one of the things he talks about is control. And I think that is absolutely a paradigm shift for parents, right? This idea of Yes, there are some things we need to control for our kids, right? You know, mm -hmm. we, we're, we're in charge of what shows that we allow them to watch when they're really, really young. We're in charge of what foods that we offer them to eat, that type of thing. But you talk in the book about control being one of the things that makes kids stronger. Can you, can you talk about that, about how having some control is really, really important for our kids? Yeah, it's all about that balance. So we know way back when the baby boomer era, back when father knows best, it was like kids should be seen and not heard. 
parents were in complete control. You'll eat what I tell you to eat when I tell you to eat it. And then the pendulum swung the other way and it kind of went too far where I'm seeing as a therapist, a lot of parents that are really treating their home like a democracy. The kids get to vote on what you eat for dinner every night. They get to vote on whether it's okay for mom to date or whether you should move across the country. I'm seeing 12 year olds really weighing in on heavy duty family decisions. That's not good for kids either. Mm-hmm. What they need is that it's a sort of a healthy balance. And I'm all about giving kids choices. Of course, as parents, we should be in the ultimate control. It's not up to your 10 year old to vote on a big family decision or they can express their opinion, but it's up to us to use our wisdom and our knowledge to make the ultimate decision about it. But kids also need choices. If you want to raise a healthy kid, they need to know, okay, I have choices in how I feel, how I think, how I behave. So you might ask them, do you want water or ice water with your dinner? They get to choose. (laughs) Just make sure you can live with either choice or do you want to do your chores before you do your homework? Do you want to do your homework first or do you want to do your homework after you make your bed? I don't know. Just give them two choices that both are ones you're happy with, but they'll be much happier when they get to make those little choices in life and they feel like they have a sense of control. And we want kids to know they do have control over certain things. And in studies say about kids with cancer, this is the one that really got me. Kids who are dealing with extreme pain and they have to go through all of these sort of um, radiation and chemotherapy and these things that are really painful, often feel like they have no control over anything. Adults are telling them, lay still and I'm gonna do this to you. They found that when they taught kids breathing techniques, they reported their pain went way down. And it was just because they finally had something they could control, like how deep I breathe or how long I hold my breath. We just need to make sure that we're giving kids little things they can control and take during the pandemic. Kids lost control over a lot of things. A lot of them didn't get to go to school. They couldn't play sports. They can't see their friends. Yet we still need to give them some choices over things. Do you want to clean your room first or do you want to do this Zoom call second? I mean, just little things that they have control over so that they feel like that they do have some say in how their day goes and how they're doing and how they're spending their time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think that rolls into this, this other component that you talk about, which is the ability to say no sometimes. Um, you know, as as moms, like I'm... I feel so happy that we're starting in the mom health space to start to see all these memes like on social media that are about, you know, um, signs that you have no boundaries, you know, like you're always resentful. (laughs) You don't ever take care of yourself. You feel guilty when you don't please other people. And in that same way, we want our kids to be able to have boundaries so that they don't have this like explosion of emotions that happen or this resentment that builds up. What are some healthy ways that kids can say no? Or what are situations where you talk about in the book that they need to learn to say no? Yeah, I hear from a lot of parents, no, I don't want my kid to say no more. They say no all the time. When I say do your homework, they say no. But we want kids to be able to say no in healthy ways so that when another kid says, hey, let me copy your paper, You want your kid to be able to say no. Or when somebody says, you want to come over to my house on Friday, if your kid doesn't want to go, you want them to be able to say no thank you Mm -hmm. without feeling like they have to do everything. We know that kids that say yes to everything often panic at the last second, right? On Monday, they say yes. And by Friday, they have to come up with an illness or an excuse or a reason to get out of what they agreed to do over the weekend. We don't want kids to, to grow up like that, thinking that you can't say no to people or if you say no, they won't like you. We want them to be able to know, okay, if I treat myself with self-respect, other people will respect me too. 
So for kids that automatically say yes, it takes some practice, sitting them down and saying, how do you say no to something small? And what are the things you can say no to? And how do you speak up for yourself when it's appropriate? Granted, we don't want a kid who's going to argue with the umpire because they disagree with a call on the baseball field. But on the other hand, we want a kid who can say, actually, I don't think that's right when their friend says something inappropriate. So again, it's about the conversations you have about modeling it in your own life and talking to kids about when you maybe make a mistake, like, gee, I overcommitted myself this week because I didn't dare say no, here's what I'm going to do about it. Or here's what I learned from it. We don't want to burden kids with our adult problems. But on the other hand, we need to teach them we're working on these things too. Yeah, no, I, I feel like that's very powerful. In my life, I see that all the time. And with the moms that I work with, like the ability with our kids to when we're feeling stressed and overscheduled and like we're running in this rat race to be able to articulate to them, you know, I decided that actually we needed to just not do that today. And then said, just hang out that it was yep. better to just like take a break. So that way we could all be in a more peaceful, calm state, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because otherwise I think we're teaching kids like, Oh, the world is going to take advantage of you. And people just ask so much of you all the time. And the world is a tough place because you're sprinting from activity to activity because you didn't say no enough. And for them to know, oh gosh, sometimes when I get asked to do something, I really want to do it because I want to be a nice person or I think I'm going to have time to do it. And I say yes. And then it gets closer and I realize I need to start saying no to more things because all of these things I'm letting into my life are affecting the whole family or it affects my mental health. It's up to me to decide what I let in and, and I need to make sure I'm not allowing too many things in because it really affects my mental health. If we had more of those conversations with kids, I think that they would learn so much about the value of being selective about who, who you let into your life and how you spend your time. Yeah. I, I also think about training our kids not to have this like performance badge or this busy badge, you know, because yes. I, I see so much, I hear so much from moms when I say, you know, like, how do you know? they're like, oh, I'm so busy. Oh, it's so chaotic. Oh, I have so much going on. I'm like, really? I get it. Like if it's like a busy season for work and you're a CPA and it's tax season and you got a lot of clients right now, like for like a couple weeks, sure. But if every single time we talk, that's your MO, then you're teaching your kids that that's the thing that actually is valuable to do and to be that they also should just be people that keep on like performing, 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 um, versus just being. So that idea of being able to say no so that we can actually get to the things that really matter or really are important to us. I agree with that so much that how often do you ask somebody, how are you? And they list the 17 things that they've been doing in the past week. And they don't have time to even think about how they're doing. Instead, they just want you to know I'm frazzled and I'm busy. And, and I do think it becomes a badge of honor. If somebody says I'm doing nothing, then other people are kind of like, really? <laughs> and I'm hoping that that's one good thing that will come out of the pandemic is we're realizing that you can live without sprinting from activity to activity and you don't have to be busy all the time. That sometimes quiet time or family time at home is, is okay too. That's really good for us. It's coming. Our new book will be here before you know it. The Working Mom Blueprint comes out May 11th, 2021. We hope you'll grab your copy. It's available for pre-order right now at amazon.com and it will be available May 11th wherever books are sold.
Okay, so the next topic that you tackle in the book is this idea of creating your own future and not feeling sorry for yourself and teaching kids how to do that or coaching them on how to do that. And you in the book are actually coaching kids on how to do that. And I always think about this idea in pediatrics and medical pediatrics about, you know, um, adverse childhood experiences and that we always are taking into account what are certain stressors or traumas or things that affect kids and also adults as they come into any situation, right? And um, I always remember in college, they asked me to write this paper on, uh, it was a test, like a, you know, here's the prompt and you have 30 minutes to write it. I'm like, is, ob is the obesity problem in America because McDonald's exists or because people choose to go to McDonald's, right? <laughs> and of course it's like both, you know, like right. not, not just one, both. And so I'd love to hear you explain where we find that line for our kids, because some kids do come from a less advantaged position or have less opportunities and can't create their own future in the same way that other kids can. But at the same time, every single kid has an opportunity to at least move themselves forward, no matter where they come from, right? Exactly. And I think it really depends on how we treat kids. Sometimes we treat kids like they're fragile or they're broken. Mm -hmm. And they grow up believing that they're fragile and they're broken. And when you hold on to that belief, you're probably not going to succeed. So if we were to tell kids in the second grade, like, well, when you come from this neighborhood, kids just don't really go far in life. Well, guess what's going to happen to them? They're going right. to believe. <laughs> right. And so it's just so important for us to teach kids that, yep, bad things happen. And yep, life isn't fair. Some people are born with incredible advantages over other people. And you can't control all of those things, but what can you control? And when we teach them that, that, all right, maybe the best you're going to do is still not as good as what somebody else is going to do because they came from this family and they came from this amount of money and they had all these opportunities you didn't. But still, what can you do? Well, how do you make the best of what you have? And I think when we send kids that message that, yep, maybe you weren't given everything in life, but here's what you can do with it. And for me, I spent most of my adult life as a foster parent. The kids I, I've raised, most of them weren't given the same hand the rest of us were dealt. They had a really bad childhood experience from abuse to neglect and everything in between. And because of that, their brains are probably not functioning the same way the rest of our brains are. And they didn't have happy childhood memories. They didn't learn a lot of the things they should have. Yet, I knew if I treated them like they were fragile, broken humans and felt sorry for them, I wasn't going to do them any favors. My job was to send them off into the world and help them see that they could still do a lot of really cool things despite the hand that they were dealt. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love that. And I think it's probably just this difference, right, of holding our own minds as we're dealing with every single person that we come in contact with, like you have no idea what kind of day that person had. So when they snap at you or when they're having a hard time, right? Like it could be because they just were in traffic for five hours or someone called them and told them that their aunt has cancer, like who knows, right? Right. But at the same time that we can't get stuck in that. I, that's what I hear you saying. Like that we can't get right. stuck in, especially with our kids with saying like, maybe you have this disability or maybe you have this disadvantage or maybe uh, financially that you didn't come up with the same upbringing somebody else did, but you still have opportunities and certain things, again, back to control, right? That you're right. responsible for and, and take ownership of. One of my favorite examples of this, I tell in my parenting book, but it's a major league baseball player named Jim Abbott. He was born with one arm. And when he was a little kid, he told his parents, I'm going to go play little league. 
the parents said, uh, okay, without no idea how this kid was going to do it. Well, guess what? He figured out how to throw the ball and feel the ball with the same hand. He could <laughs> take his glove off, drop it to the ground, somehow throw the, he could bat, he could do all this stuff. He went on to win Olympic gold medals, all these awards, and he becomes a major league baseball player who pitched no hitters. But how many of us as parents, when your kid with a disability were to say, hey, I'm going to go do this alongside the other kids, would be able to say, okay, because it's so scary. We think, I don't want you to go out there and get made fun of, or I don't want you to, to struggle. So we try to shield them from that pain. But sometimes we just need to let kids say, okay, let's go out there and see what you can do and, and let them know you can try your best and let's, I'll cheer you on the whole way. And knowing that sometimes it might not always work out. There are plenty of stories like that that don't necessarily have such a happy ending, but we need kids to go out there and feel like they can be empowered to try to do new things and to, to reach their greatest potential in life. 100%. I like this summer, my, my oldest, she has an anxiety disorder and sleep disorder and uh, a number of other things. And uh, she wants to go to a sleepover camp with her best friend, you know, and it's two nights and it's in a cabin and someone else will have to give her her medication at night that she takes and all these things. And, uh, and you know, when she told me, my initial internal thought was no, because this will fail and yep. I will be picking you up and then you'll be disappointed and it will be worse. And I stop myself. I don't always stop myself, but I stop myself to say like, okay, great. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm going to be planning about what are some ways I might be able to prepare you so that when you go, you're the most successful, right? Like we're going to do a trial sleepover with one of your friends just at their house, like a couple months ahead so that that way you feel even more confident. But yeah, it's like if I had said, stunted her by saying, absolutely not. That's something that's not for you. That's for all the other third graders, <laughs> you know, then she would have never asked me to do it again, probably because you she know, would have believe in her. <laughs> similar story. I had a 14 year old foster child that wanted to go away to summer camp. Usually kids in foster care go to summer camp with other kids in foster care. Yeah. She wanted to go to a regular foster camp and I was like a regular summer camp. And I remember thinking like, Oh no, you know, this kid has some quirks and other kids in foster care kind of understand that there's some quirks and stuff, but the thought of sending her to this summer camp with kids she didn't know. And uh, I was really anxious about it. Luckily my husband was like, just, just say yes, let's do it. Mm -hmm. We let her go. And she came back and she was so grateful. She said, it was the first time in my entire life that nobody knew I was, I was in foster care. And she, for that one week, she felt like a regular kid. And it was such a, like a relief to know that she had gone. I was terrified, but that she figured it out. She knew, okay, don't do this because kids are going to think I'm weird or, or manage this while I'm here. And she pulled it together and had the, one of the best weeks of her life. But it was one of those times where I could have very easily said, to manage my anxiety, I'm going to say no. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, for sure, right? So many of the decisions that we make as parents are about like actually what is about us, right? What right. is how we're anxious. And I think that goes also with all these other things you're talking about. Like sometimes you don't give your kid control because you don't want them to get hurt or because you're worried they'll make the wrong decision. Right. But that doesn't yep. serve them. It just kind of helps you cope with your anxiety for that, for that moment. Um, what about gratitude? And I would love since, since you see, patients and like know even more about this than I do. I, I would love to know what's like the science behind how gratitude helps us as, as we try to get stronger. Why does it, why is it that when we are grateful, 
that we actually feel better and are able to be more successful. Oh, I'm glad you asked that. So there's tons of science behind it. When we start to look for the good in the world, it's like your brain then can then say, all right, six bad things happened today, but 10 good things happen. And when you're grateful, you'll focus on the 10 good that happened. So that when somebody says, how was your day today? You don't just start complaining about the six bad things that happened. You can say, you know what? This happens today. And I'm really grateful that X, Y, and Z came out of it, whatever it is. But your brain physically transforms when they've done studies on people their brain changes physically over time just by focusing on the good. It's like you light up parts of your brain when you start looking for the positive that then makes you feel better. And when you feel better, it becomes easier to be more grateful. It creates this awesome positive cycle in your life. And the benefits of it are just tremendous. Grateful people live longer. They're 25% happier. They have better friendships, deeper friendships. People like them more. They sleep better, they have better quality sleep, but they also sleep longer. I mean, the list can go on and on and you think it only takes a few minutes a day. So why wouldn't we practice more gratitude on a daily basis? Mm -hmm. And is this just writing down a list of all the things we're grateful for? Is it, you know, with our kids saying, this is our gratitude moment. We're all going to talk at the dinner table. Like, tell me some of the nitty gritty things that you give advice on, on how to do this. Because I think, I can imagine some moms thinking about, A, my kids never sit down and do that with me, <laughs> you know, or right. modeling it for our kids ourselves. So a few things. Sometimes we, we get upset because our kids seem a little more entitled than we want them to be. And we try to like force gratitude. Well, that never works. When you tell your kid, there's a kid in a, another country on the other side of the world who would love to eat that broccoli. It's not mm -hmm. going to make your child grateful for broccoli. Instead, it's probably just going to make them miserable that you have brought this up. So you don't want to just force it that way. You want it to be genuine. So to point out the things you're grateful for in your own life can be great. And to ask kids to go digging for it. Instead of saying, how was your day? You might say, tell me the best part of your day today. And just to help kids to focus a little bit more on the good. I've worked with parents before who maybe their kid didn't like school, but then the parents would be like, oh, how did it go today? And then the kid would tell like lots of stories of, you know, nobody played with me at recess. Nobody sat with me at lunch. And after a while, they just... I started focusing on all the bad things and it became their daily routine to come home and sort of report, this is why school's terrible. So to change that dynamic, sometimes it was just as simple as the parents saying, let's start with the very best thing that happened today. And then that same kid starts to think every day about, let me focus on something good. Let me identify one positive thing that happened. And that can help reframe it. And another big thing that we can do to help kids is just to make it incorporated into your daily routine at home. And it might be before you go to bed, y'all just say what you're grateful for or at the dinner table. Or I've had families who create a gratitude bulletin board where they just put up little notes about what they're grateful for or why they appreciate somebody else in the family maybe because we get an extra boost of gratitude when we're grateful for somebody else, not just the possessions that we have. Or I had one family that instead of a, a New Year's resolution, they just spent the whole year on little slips of paper putting in into a jar why they're grateful for something. And then at the end of the year, they would take all, all those little pieces of paper and just read them over to each other. And it just reinforced to them, we had a really good year this year. That's awesome. You know, the other thing that I've recommended to families in my office is, you know, inevitably when you ask your kid, like, how was school today? They're like, fine. Like, what'd you do? They're like, 
I don't know. So if your younger child, especially if you have a kid who's in preschool or if your school uses, once they go back to real in-person school, if they use one of those apps that sends like pictures of what your kids are doing, um, sends little reminders, or if they send out emails that say, this is what we're going to be doing this week in school, that's a great way to prompt your kids so that that way they don't have to go back and think of like, what was the activity they did? So much easier to say, your teacher sent me this picture of you with gummy worms and dirt and it looked like you were going to grow a garden. Tell me about that. I want to hear all about it. Or let me show you the picture she sent me, right? To kind of get them activated into rethinking about what was this really cool thing they did during the day. Exactly. Because kids don't remember. Like that was three hours ago. I don't know what I did earlier today and they've moved on. But when we can give them those prompts, it makes it so much easier for them to talk about it. Yeah. In clinic, it's funny. I've learned, you know, because we always go through like, okay, now what grade are you in? Uh, how's school going? What are you doing for physical activity? <laughs> I've learned, you know, early on in my career, I'd be like, so what are you learning about this year? And I just get these blank stares, like, like thinking you don't learn anything in school, but the reality is it's just hard sometimes to have that abstract concept get really concrete for kids as they're, as they're talking to you. So same thing as, as parents. Okay, probably most important in the book is this topic of failure, which I think is really important for modern moms. I mean, thankfully, we're getting way better again in the modern mom world about being transparent about the fact that no person is perfect. And I see that happening in the schools as well, where they're really focused on this growth mindset, um, as opposed to you know, I'm a, I'm a smart person, right. That I'm all, mm -hmm. that I'm a learner and Carol Dweck's work in mindset talked a ton about this. Will you review for people who maybe aren't familiar with this idea of growth mindset, what that's all about and why it's so important for everyone, but especially for our kids. Yeah. It has a lot to do with when you, when you fail at something, if you fail a science test, you decide I'm stupid. I'm bad at science. Or do you think, Oh, I've got some room to grow. I can learn from this. And you move on and you try to do better next time. We know that kids that have a growth mindset can bounce back from their mistakes. They can learn from failure and they don't look at it as the end of the road. And there's a study that found that when we looked at science class, for example, and the teachers talked about all these really famous scientists like Einstein and Edison. And they're like, look at how, how incredibly popular these people are. Here's their incredible things that they invented. Here's how smart they were. The students' grades actually declined. So then they started talking about, well, you know, Edison invented a lot of things that didn't work out. And Einstein had a few theories that weren't the best. As soon as they started talking about those famous people's failures, the kids' grades started to go back up because suddenly they were like, oh, I can guess on this answer or it's okay to put myself out there and take a risk. So we know that that's just so important. So often we only hear the end of the story, which is the success. We don't hear how many times somebody tried a business and it failed, or we don't hear about how many athletes tried to get on the team a million times before they actually made it. So we want to start talking to kids about failures and about teaching them when you fail, it doesn't mean you can't try again, or it doesn't mean that you weren't meant to do that thing. It just means that you have more room to grow. You can learn from this and you can get better because of your failures. Yeah. And again, like to geek out on the brain biology, I mean, it's so rad how then when we start to do that, our brains actually change, right? They remodel into being able to be more resilient in that way, to be able to then take on more chances to be kinder to ourselves, that the more we practice being okay with failure, um, the, the more we are okay at baseline, the, hard, the least hard, the less hard we work at it. 
Exactly. And if your kid's never failing at anything, it means they're not pushing themselves to the limit. You want them to be out there. You want them to fail quite often because then you know, wow, we're really trying to do hard things. There's no real um, bragging point in saying I made every team. I always did everything I tried worked out great because it means you probably could have done a lot more. You just didn't push yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, you guys, I'm so excited about this book. And again, I love it because it takes some of the concepts that as a pediatrician are near and dear to my heart about resilience and helping kids be stronger, but it puts them into a really practical application that your children can actually apply for themselves. So you can work on it with them, but they can also do some of this work themselves and really ingrain the topics um, into their own brains themselves. How old would you say this book is specifically for, Amy? What, Wait, what I wrote it for the eight to 12 year old range. Obviously eight year olds are gonna need a lot more support than the 12 year olds to read it. But my hope is that older kids will benefit from it too. 16, 17 year olds. I'm hearing from adults who say, I, I really enjoyed this book for me. So I'm hoping that older people will enjoy it as well. Good. Okay, great. Awesome. You guys go grab a copy. 13 things strong kids do. Thank you so much for being here, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. Mama, if you want more of the Modern Mommy Dog podcast, make sure that you click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. We'd also be so honored if you shared with your friends and on social media with the hashtag Modern Mommy Dog. If you share about something that inspired you or that you learned from the podcast, we'll be sure to share it on our social media as well. Thanks for listening.